Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all shapes, sorts, and sizes. This is your host, Josh Belcher of the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Another week of fantastic opportunities and interviews. This week we've got the great musician, Dean Bernardini. He was in Chevelle for 15 years, taking a break right now to spend more time with family and focus on his art and woodwork that you can check out on thewoodenrelic.com or anywhere on social media. I also had another rare treat, stand-up comedian and overall awesome human being, Aaron Weber, who is doing his debut album recorded for 800-pound gorilla at Zany's Nashville Wednesday, September 30th. Uh, both the guys are really awesome. Really look forward to talking to them. Uh, both had a lot of awesome stuff to share, and I was really grateful to have been in on it. Also this week, had uh, two of my dearest friends who helped me lay the foundation of this podcast, both of my co-hosts who share uh, duties, had them both on one show, which was really awesome. We have uh, my first ever musical guest and friend, Sam Madewell. He did the musical portion with me. He's in the Cam Pierce group. Check him out on all social medias. And then for Aaron Weber, I had comedian co-host, the church comedian, Mr. Brandon Skelton. Check out his YouTube. It's hilarious. And all of his social medias as well. This has been a great week, full of work, nothing really special to pinpoint other than I went to Honewall, Tennessee, uh, the Natchez Trace, and saw the um, Lewis and Clark, the Meriwether Lewis um, monument statue that he is buried underneath uh, where he lost his life at a tavern, the Grinders Station, uh, which is a few feet away where he was, uh, they don't know whether or not he was truly murdered or he committed suicide, but anyway... Um, the uh, personal secretary of Thomas Jefferson and the first governor of the Louisiana Territory and, of course, famed Lewis and Clark Expedition. I checked out his cemetery plot and just went on a little trip. Um, Other than that, just working, uh, getting a lot of the heat, uh, ready for it to cool down in the fall to start. And uh, great interviews, great podcast this week. So I'm going to quit running my jowls and we'll get ready. Uncharted, here we go. Enjoy, everybody. This week's podcast, we're glad to have former Chevelle bass player and now a full-time artist and family man. He is the proprietor of The Wooden Relic. Check out that website, thewoodenrelic.com, Mr. Dean Bernardini. He was with Chevelle for 15 years. He replaced uh, his brother-in-law, Joe, uh, from the original lineup of the group and stuck with them and decided to take a break Right now, kind of just in time, actually, because the whole world is taking a break. And he's discussed with us his art, his woodwork, what he's doing with his time. Uh, Special thanks to co-host Sam Madewell lending his talents in this interview. All right, we'll get on with it. Here we go. First of all, Dean, thanks for being on the pod. Um, you know, big fan. I bet I've seen you play music more than any other group I've ever seen live in my life. Um, yeah. you know, just with COVID and everything, just bored and surfing and looking for entertainment and saw that now you've got a, a new path. Well, not so new, but kind of like pursuing more full time, the wooden relic, um, read that you draw inspiration from art, from your dreams, which is, you have some very awesome 
pieces there on your website. Just wanted to uh, bring attention to it and discuss it a little bit, if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, what what made you decide that this is uh, the, the route you wanted to take right now? Well, actually, you know, I – Six, six months prior to everything shutting down, I had made a conscious decision to stop touring because of, uh, you know, I have I have two kids and, you know, it was just becoming, you know, 15 years on the road was a good run. And I wanted to be there for my kids actually moving forward. Uh I had no idea any of this stuff was going to happen, obviously, there's, you know, right. um, but uh, it's just, as it worked out, I was going to take a break, and I've I've always been a uh, an artist, um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing it since I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, painting, one of my first paintings was then, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of downtime on the road, so, you know, over the course of the 15 years, I produced something like 30 or so watercolors that, yeah, is like you said, I, I drew my inspirations from just writing down my dreams. And, you know, I started to see a pattern. And uh, the pattern was that I, I, the dreams tended to be about struggles. And I wanted to try to portray those struggles the best I could in a visual sense, which is not an easy thing. You have to use a lot of things for metaphor and, and uh, you know, suggestion and things like that. And basically, you know, it, it, it was like when whenever you do art, and, and I believe most artists, they do studies of things that they're working on. They try to try to get an outline of what it is that they're trying to, trying to, you know, deliver as far as the concept goes. And uh, with dreams, it was an interesting thing because it wasn't so much that I was sitting there trying to come up with ideas. The ideas were there just pouring out. I had to interpret them. And I found that the more I sat with them and, you know, spent time thinking about how I could, what, what does this even mean, right? You know, yeah. I mean, anyone anyone can record their dreams. I think they're going to be fascinated. It's like an untapped market that everybody has. And it mm -hmm. just starts with it just starts with writing something down in the morning if you can remember it. And most of the time you don't remember it, but the more you write it down, all of a sudden it's like a it's like a floodgate and it opens. And next thing you know, you're remembering everything. Yeah, uh, so, one one of the questions I had with that was like, <clears throat> like with a dream, you know, like at least for me, I can have one and it be very vivid, and then I can forget it just as quick as it happened. You almost have to wake up and just start jotting your thoughts. Yes. That's exactly it. If and it seems so simple, but it is actually true that, and you you won't realize it until you do it. That the the moment you write something down, the next day it gets a little easier. You all of a sudden you wake up, you have that pen ready, or sometimes it's in the middle of the night. You know, I mean, my dog wakes me up sometimes three times a night, and it's yeah. I I have more of an opportunity to uh, tap <laughs> tap in weird ideas. And a lot of it's garbage, you know. Some of it's just like, what was it, you know, if you're watching, like, Alone or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. you, all of a sudden you have a dream of yourself and something. You can kind of dis, you can disregard that the next day. You're like, well, this was attributed to this. That's attributed to that. But then every once in a while you come across something that's a gem and you can't explain it. And it takes time. 
It's like those are the ones that I'm, I've always been interested in, the ones that I don't understand. And it, they always seem to become clearer the more you kind of go to them. And, and then, there's the, then there's the challenge of trying to, trying to make other people understand it visually. You know, yeah. and so like if you see something and you see the the weight of it visually, it's it's a very strange thing. I I'm I tried to do something that I trying to do something new. You know, yeah. Um, as hard as that is with art. Yeah, well, your your particular art, and I'm not just saying this because you know I'm a music a fan of yours musically, but uh, I like it because it's not you don't have to second guess what it is. Yeah, the theme. I like. Yeah, it. but you do have to kind of wonder what's going through your brain. I I'm, I'm not a art connoisseur i just i know what i like and what i don't but that's the only way i can describe it it's like i can see it and kind of gather what i might be thinking but then mm-hmm. again it's like well i don't really exactly know it's just it's kind of like more of a deep thought that you have to actually ask uh, the artist which in this case is yourself and and that's that's what i enjoy the most about other people seeing it because um you know i i usually get people that'll say right away like i identify with this or this touches me in a certain way like you know i i understand where you're coming from here this makes me feel a certain way that's totally what i'm going for whether or not it's actually what it is about is it's kind of irrelevant to me it's very similar to lyrics you know like lyrics yeah people make up people will make up their own lyrics and it'll have more meaning to them than the actual lyrics than the actual lyrics themselves yeah and uh yeah i'm yeah, still you know. trying to figure out uh yellow lead better to this day so <laughs> Which what what was that? Yeah. Go ahead. I was I was trying to figure out yellow lead better to this day, you know, the lyrics to what I'm trying to make the meaning of that song. Pearl Jam. Um Oh gotcha. I was uh one of your paintings and I'm gonna I'm gonna own one of them eventually. I know I know you've got some uh, like a hundred, but I don't know how to say the name, but the one that appeals to me as far as what drew me in is the one that means the meeting in Dutch. I didn't know how to say it so I I tried to look it up. Uh, like D on Matoing or on Matoing. Yeah. I didn't want to miss it, but I really like that. Like it just appeals to me. Could you explain uh, a little bit of that to me? Yeah, absolutely. That's called Deont Moting. Okay. And uh, the reason why I named it such is because I was actually in um, the Netherlands, or I think I was in, maybe in Sweden. I can't remember. It's you said it's Dutch though. <laughs> Well, it's, it, yeah, it means meeting in Dutch, and I didn't know how to yeah, say it. Yeah, I, didn't, so, I didn't want to sound silly, so. No, no, that's that's correct. So, yeah, so that, they all kind of blend together. Some, sometimes that's why I name them specific things because I it helps me remember where exactly I was when I formulated it. And uh, so, you know, yeah, in that particular one, I did have a dream of uh, an encounter, which is rare. I mean, that's not. You would think that that's something that I have all the time, but it's not. A lot mm-hmm. of people, a lot of people confuse the fact that I draw aliens, and they're not—they're not actually aliens. They're—I've actually never painted or drawn an alien, other than maybe a Chevelle pass that we had for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, They—the—the the bodies that you see are are there. They're representing our souls, so it's kind of a metaphor in my paintings that I use visually to express the human soul, and it could be anybody, you know. That's why I don't give it too much character because it's not really. It's not really important because it. I, I want it to apply to everybody. So yeah. in the meeting, Deont Moting is is just that. I mean, it was just a kind of a vivid scene of an encounter. And you know that 
I think is the only other time. No, there's been a couple of times that I put UFOs definitely because I put UFOs as a metaphor of what you don't understand. Yeah, you know, right on. kind of like in a math equation, it's kind of like the uh, the ether. You know, it's it's, just, it's the unknown, not knowing what to ascribe to it. So I like to use that as a metaphor. Um, because everybody kind of resonates with that. I don't think there's anybody that, I mean, you would know yourself if you believe or not, but, yeah. um, you know, nobody really knows. Yeah. So. Well, well, brother Sam here is a, uh, he is a connoisseur of the unknown, uh, Sasquatch and UFOs and everything. And I think he had a couple of questions concerning that. Yeah. Um, bring it. <laughs> well, well, with, with that meeting, uh, with that instance that you're speaking of, would you care to elaborate on that? What that uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would, I mean, so the dream itself was, uh, I was actually in a car. So that's where, it, but, you know, I don't want to paint a car driving. You know, this is not something that I find visually interesting. And I also like to make things kind of timeless, which I kind of want it to blend in with. Um, and I want time to blend. I don't, I don't want to point to any, like this was painted in this time because there's people drinking coffee, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, that's not interesting to me. So I would def I definitely pick and choose from from the dream, but it's the, it's the interpretation that takes on a whole new meaning. So I guess the uh, without really, because I got to be honest, I don't fully understand my paintings when they're finished, and that's okay. I have no problem admitting that. There's there's a lot of it that um, I just like. I know when I like it because it, it came out a certain way. And in that particular one, the watercolors, I, I wanted to give it some depth. And I wanted to um, – I, I basically just wanted to make it seem like you're, you know, you're encountering something of the unknown. And, it, and obviously that one, it does have the brush underneath it, which, I mean, you know, like you said, Bigfoot and everything, those are fun things to think about mm -hmm. and to ponder. I know that my wife and I were just recently watching um, these missing 411 yes. uh, documentaries. Yes. Yeah, I and just those, I mean, if you've never seen those, that'll mm -hmm. that'll make you rethink mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of things. You know, it's just I think they people said 30, uh, I'm sorry, I think they said like 30 or 40 people a year go missing in national parks, so that's that's quite the number, you know. So. Yeah, and that they actually have worked down a formula of of, mm -hmm. the, of the things yep. that are in connection with that. So I mean, if you if you look at the painting, the guy is the soul um, is is hiding. He doesn't want to be seen. Um, and there's the unknown, and there's also an abyss below him. So, you know, I love the fact that people can attribute those visual elements to anything that's going on in their life. And if I can achieve that, then I succeeded. It doesn't yeah. matter whether or not it was exactly the way my dream was, but I know that my dream was, uh, it was very vivid. And, and I know that I couldn't have painted it because it was, it was just too modern. <laughs> maybe well, someday, maybe someday yeah. I'll feel comfortable doing that, but I'm, well, I'm a, I'm a sucker for the classics. Yeah, well, what drew it uh, for me, what 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 I was drawn to, and the reason I'm going to put it in my collection here pretty soon is that, um, to me, what I saw, like I said, if we're talking about interpretations from my perspective, is that if I were to ever see a UFO, the way like the it's kind of like the calmness of the sky, and it's kind of like everything's 
kind of like maybe the sun's going down or whatever, like the blends of the colors. That's how mm-hmm. I'd want to see it because I would be like in total shock. Like I would need to, it'd be a calm all the way around me. Yeah. Because if a UFO just showed up, that's, that's what drew it to me anyway. Mood light. Yeah. And if you think about it, most of the time we've ever had memories like that, or if we've ever seen something that's shocked us, we kind of remember the sights and the smells of that scene. Yeah. So to make it, to make it vivid is only, you know, I'm only, uh, I'm only trying to bring that to the viewer is, is the importance of it like you know because obviously yeah. uh you don't always uh if unless it was that important you wouldn't really remember all those details but you, you seem to you know with memories like that yeah uh yeah i wanted to ask too dean um with yourself being a painter and an artist and also with uh with that paintings and drawing and whatnot um compared to being an artist in music, and it's the same sort of creativity in a way, you know, um, did you draw inspiration on each? Like, did the music that you guys played in Chevelle, um, is is that easy for you to draw inspiration from that? Like being on stage and just hearing the music and then getting into your artist frame of mind? Uh, For sure. I mean, not so much the stage performance, but, um, you know. The writing process? Yeah, exactly. So, like, a song, I would attribute a painting to a song because it takes about as much time um, because you don't want to sit too long with a song. I mean, that's true. You you want to do your your roughs of songs and you want to get it roughed out and and then you want to move forward and just kind of refine it. It's very similar to a painting because, you know, I have sketchbooks that are full of all my, my, my studies, you know, of the idea and that they're not awesome right out of the gate. They suck. You know, there's a lot of things about them. I go back and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, it doesn't make sense in a bad way. Like sometimes things don't make sense, but all of a sudden I look at it again and I'm like, I see, you know, I see something in that. It's, it's very much the same with music. And uh, yeah, the, the more you kind of work at it, uh, there seems to be a, a, a span of time when it's a, it's a good working time. And then if it goes past that, it kind of becomes stale and you can ruin it because you're overthinking it, and you know what I mean. Like there's there's this like fine line in between there, where it's it really critical. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I notice a lot of times. I have two paintings right now that I started, and I had to I had to put them aside because I was obsessing. Yeah, like I had an idea that I wanted to do, but it didn't. My backgrounds are done. Do you do that yeah. musically too? Are you that critical? When do you know when to stop being so critical with your art and music? You know, well, like with music, with music, what we would do is we would put it aside and then we'd go back to it and mm-hmm. we'd, we'd all, you know, we all hash it up over and uh, take another listen. And, and you would know right away if it was interesting or not, especially if you do that. If you if you put something aside musically and go back to it, because some, sometimes yeah. everything about a new riff is really exciting. Right. And it's the same thing with art. It's it, it's the same thing. You, you know, you put the brush to the canvas, and you're like, hmm, I like this. Yeah, yeah. and and it 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 can be a curse and a blessing. I mean, there's Van Van Gogh um, was famous for doing his paintings, and all in one rush, he would call it. He would he would uh, you know do it all in one sitting, and uh, the paint was piled on there. And for him, he had worked out a way to do it that it would actually worked, especially if you're someone else looking at it. You know, I don't know. Maybe he was self-critical of himself 
when he would do it. But I've I've done that before. I've, I've practiced that, and it's just not something that I I love to do because I don't seem to be able to convey my messages yeah. as well. Because he was a landscape, you know, he did a lot of landscapes. That's and they were beautiful and they were they were groundbreaking because of how different they were from everybody's. But um, yeah, it's 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 very similar in music. I mean, I'm sure like punk, you could say punk is like that. You know, punk, you, you have a kind of like a landscape of the way you want the music to sound and you just go for it, you know? And if you wrote the lyrics and everything and you, you nailed it in one afternoon, the band's stoked, <laughs> you, yeah. you throw that in the set and play it again. But like, you know, even Chevelle music was way more refined, you know? Pete was very, uh, very careful about his lyrics and about the way he wanted to present everything. And, uh, yeah, we, we would do a lot of work and then we'd put it on the side and, and, uh, come back to it and see if it was still interesting. And it's right. That is, that is something that, um, is no different in art. I mean, it's, if anything, I I've realized how much they're alike and it makes me wonder about other arts, you know, if, if, sure, they're, yeah. Yeah. if they're the same way. Um, what about Bekzinski, the Polish uh, painter? You're a fan of his? Um, you know, the, honestly, the, the name doesn't ring a bell. It doesn't mean I haven't seen his work. Just, um, there's so many great artists. Yeah, check him out. Um, what, uh, is he alive? He's, no, he's, he's not. He actually he was actually murdered. But he oh, was, wow. <laughs> but um, just seeing your art, you know, it's not necessarily the same, but it's uh, kind of like a uh, more apocalyptic Salvador Dali. But he's, he was pretty famous back in the day. But there's a lot of them out there, and it's just some wild um, – Awesome, kind of scary art. You, you may what really was, like. what was the name again? Beck Zinski. Um, Beck K S I N S K I. Yeah, he's Polish. Is there a documentary or anything associated with that? No, but you know what? Okay. That could be really cool. Maybe put Chevelle's music behind it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, how many album covers did you do for the band? I, I know that the two, and, and they're phenomenal that I know of. Did you do more than that? Yeah, I think I did. I think there, so there was obviously uh, Sci-Fi Crimes. Yeah. Then there was um, Any Last Words. Mm-hmm. Um, well, The North Corridor was, I basically did that. That's the last record that we have out. Yeah. Um, that was more graphic art. Um, then there is, uh, I know there's another one, Stray Arrows. Yeah, yes, with a skeleton with the arrows in his back. Yeah, and yeah. and in that one, you know, the the point of that one was kind of like big business. I wanted to show that big business did not care about whatever they stepped on, in a sense. Uh, yeah, and so, um, and I actually took a Van Gogh approach. Is some some of the if anyone's listening and they're like an art historian, they're going to be pissed if I don't say Van Gogh. So I'll say Van Gogh. <laughs> that was the way his name was actually pronounced. But, yeah. he, you know, I tried to do the um, the background in an homage to Van Gogh. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's always fun to be able to try to compose a cover to try to encompass 12 songs or something, you know, I mean, it's a challenge, but at the same time, you know, there was, there was songs on there that, uh, that I felt like it represented, you know? So, yeah. I, so I think that's about, 
four covers or so. And it's not always the best thing for music. Um, sometimes a picture is all it needs, especially the um, the change that happened where, um, you know, in the digital era, we've we've gone from like, you know, doing even CDs, we've gone to iTunes where it's just like an inch by an inch graphic. And, you know, I remember talking to some of the uh, the people for Sony Epic, which was our label, you know, just kind of brainstorming, like, so what were you guys thinking about doing for this record cover? And it was kind of like, well, you know, I had this painting, and and they're like, is it is it a simple painting? You know, because <laughs> if if you shrink something down to an inch by an inch, and you're looking at it on your phone, it's even smaller than like an inch by an inch would be what it would be on a computer, and then it gets even smaller on a phone. And it's like you don't you can't tell what's happening so in the world of music it needs to be something that people can attach immediately and say like oh that's the color you know like uh i'll say for example like coldplay you know they had some records that were really vivid but they weren't like super complicated they were pretty simple and they just had like uh you know you could set them apart from anything that was happening at the time that's why a lot of times people have their faces on it like if it was up to labels, they would just put faces on everything. Cause then you're like, this is the artist that I want to purchase, you know, and then you just click on it. Yeah. So it kind of lost its mystique having like a, a complicated art cover or something like that. And it, and it kind of got refined to that sort of thing. So if, if you notice some of my, like any last words and um, not so much Strayros, but any last words and, uh, I forgot the other one, but they're pretty. Oh, and, and the North Corridor—that's a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last one was was very, very you know gray and black and one image, you know, and the name of the band. So it doesn't always apply, but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun when it did, you know. And it always looks good on a record, but you know. Yeah. Um. Well, let's uh, let's hop into um, which is I've been on the wooden relic your website, and you're also like a master craftsman. I've seen some of the doors and everything. Like, uh, how did you have time to do that amongst uh, touring like a madman and painting as well? Like, where, where, what's the origin of that? Because it's really nice. It's, it's all the stuff you had on there visually was well done. Thank you. Yeah. So before I actually went on tour, I had a business. Um, so out of high school. Uh, my older brother had a carpentry business, and and uh, of course, you know, you're gonna go work for your older brother because then you can show up late, and then <laughs> you, get fired. you can get fired, and then you know, get hired again. So, like, I I worked for him, and then you know, I was playing constantly. You know, I I was a drummer first. I don't know. Yeah. Right yeah. So I I played since I was five, and I was in other bands and everything. So I was playing shows on the weekends and rehearsing during the weeks and then you know i had a van so i put all my carpentry tools in there so i learned carpentry from my from working with my brother and then customers uh that we had as our business started to grow a little bit um they wanted built-ins and stuff like that and he was like he didn't want to do them so he's like you can do them if you want so i was like okay and then i started researching and you know after talking to the customers they were super excited about these little they're kind of like the jewels that go at the end of the job so i started studying that and that led me long story short to like the shakers and 
and which which are is a community that used to build furniture as if they were building it for God Himself. They wouldn't they wouldn't <laughs> skip any details. So they're like yeah. the uh, you know there's no question as to the craftsmanship that went into it and the solid joinery. You know they didn't use screws or nails or anything. And I just I fell in love with that whole philosophy and studied it and studied it and I split off had my own business and um yeah i was i was working on the north shore doing custom furniture by the time i went on tour with chevelle so it was like i had this this whole thing was up and running and and i bailed on it to to go on the road and i never stopped i still had clients so the clients would be asking for stuff and and if they could wait a year to two years i would get around (laughs) to it you know yeah and uh I would do that on my on my time home, or you know, do it as as much as I could because I, I sincerely enjoy doing it, and and uh, I find peace in it. And uh, that's full circle. I'm, that's why I'm I'm back there now. I have my own shop, and I'm I mix up my time between furniture and painting, and uh, even historical restoration, which I'm working for a church, and I'm redoing the stained glass windows that are you know, over 120 years old. Wow. That's amazing. Well, it's really um, gratifying work. (laughs) Uh, You'd brought up touring with Chevelle and something I always wanted to ask you personally, and and, which is, I really appreciate you interviewing with us was, um, you know, obviously being the brother-in-law and replacing, um, uh, you know, the brother Joe, uh, was that awkward at the first family gathering when you guys got together and you're like, uh, you know, Dean's the bass player now. Like, I mean, cause it was like a whirlwind thing. Next thing we know, um, I'm, uh, you're, you've stepped in and, you know, there's not a lot of fanfare about it, which is rightfully so, but I was always wondering, was it kind of like awkward? Cause this is like literally a family business. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a good question. And, you know, it's, it's not a difficult question for me to answer because I'll just be completely honest. I mean, I, when it, when it happened, I, the first thing I did was call my brother-in-law Joe because I respected him and and Natalie and I had already been married for I don't know if it was a couple of years or one year or whatever and it did come out of left field you know because I wasn't a bass player I was a drummer yeah. huh. and uh, the the question was asked and I just contemplated it um, and me being as close as I was with Pete and Sam it was kind of like do I want to go on tour with my my really my family and my my closest friends. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, you know. I'll try. I guess that was my attitude. But the first thing I did was I called Joe, and I asked him. I said, "Look, if this is going to be weird for you, I'm not going to do it." And to be honest, you know, the family was already kind of, you know, not to get into it too much, but there wasn't a lot of all the brothers showing up at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't really something that I had to deal with. Um, yeah, I, but, and I understand, and we didn't have to go too far. I was just, you know, um, being being a family business. Like I said, I've seen Chevelle twelve times uh, in my life. I've been a fan since the get, and um, you know, they kept it in the family. And it's just like, you know, I was always curious because I couldn't imagine, you know, like you get together for that dinner and it's like, uh, you know, well, Dean's in there now, you know. <laughs> Or something to that extent. So I, I was yeah, I'm sure. I'm it, it, sure it's hard for some people to wrap their head around if they think about it like that. But the the reality was is it was such a it's such a big family. Yeah. That and nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the other thing. You think that they might, but 
you know what, they've been dealing with the band their whole lives, the, the whole family has, and, you know, all those guys in the band, you know, mostly probably the the elder people would probably think of it, but, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a time of change, and, um, it was, it was a beautiful thing, and, you know, like I said, I spent 15 years doing it, and I, I loved it. And now it's a time of change again, and here I here I am doing doing something else that I I'm fully immersed in, and and who knows what the future has to hold. I'm not going to say anything is you know that I I wouldn't do this or do that again. It's not like that. It's just it's what what was the best thing for myself and my family at the time, and uh, you know at that time it seemed to be the best thing for Natalie and myself going into that. And yeah, it's never, never easy when it's family, right? You know? Sure. Well, you know, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a a gossip guy. I'm just a fan of music and art in any, in any platform. And I just, it was one thing I was just a little curious about. And and I appreciate you elaborating, uh, you know, cause you you know, you're always just kind of curious, but, you know, you obviously filled in beautifully uh, without a hitch and, and, and just won everybody over. And I remember the first time I saw you at Rocket Town, I was I was right next to a couple of really – they were already um, well-soused up drunk people. And uh, I think it was you or Pete said um, something about, are you wearing uh, S&M? And that was Madonna's clothing line. And then you asked the guy that was with her if you could borrow his suspenders for the next song. And I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, I I will say that it was never a dull moment on stage. Yeah, was, definitely not. You guys all you, yeah. if you were looking for material, you didn't have to look very far. No, it was it was perfect. You guys always uh exceed expectations. That's why I came back for more. Um uh we'll give you one more question. I appreciate you being generous with your time. You know, I looked it up where you, you know, you learned to play bass, listening to music, and particularly from what I read was Muse's Absolution. Now, uh, uh, Hysteria, that's like a really, really uh, gruesome song, I would imagine, right out of the gate. Like, uh, how long did it take you to get that bass line down if that's what you were doing? Yeah, I I, I chose them because it was a three-piece, and it was probably the, the strongest power trio, modern power trio that you're going to find. You know, that's yeah. uh, it's not not like Chevelle. It's a little more refined, I would say, more melodic. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was trying to do was I was trying to I was trying to take myself out of my comfort zone, which was you know in drums you sit down on a throne in the back and you know you're in your own world. Yeah, and I'm just going from that world to being stuck in the front. Now you, I used to sing and play drums. I could sing backups and stuff, so that wasn't that wasn't a problem. But my posture, I mean, it was crap because I was like an ogre. I, you know, <laughs> you're hunched over. I'm yeah. hunched over, so I needed something to really kick my ass. And, and those bass lines, like you're saying, are not simple. And and so that's pretty much why I I chose I chose to go that route. And uh, it really it was good because it was it was difficult and it really prepared me for the future. And, uh, but yeah, the dexterity thing was the hardest part and, sure. and, uh, you can't really practice like you play live. It's, it's, uh, it's very similar to, 
I mean, I, I guess it's not similar to sports because you can practice sports, but I mean, there's always the adrenaline <laughs> dump. There's an adrenaline dump when you play sports and there's a lot of people there, you know, sure. like I'm a, ho- I'm a hockey player. So I know that I would always get I would, my nerves, my nerves would start popping whenever there was like a bunch of people watching a game, you know, right and it's very, it's very similar. Cause it's like, you can't, there's no way to practice that. So I thought the best thing that I could do was to make myself extremely uncomfortable. And it was, <laughs> it yeah. was extremely uncomfortable. And then, at that time, I didn't know if I was going to pull it off or not. I was just like, you know, my my buds were like, hey, just let's let's play in a month, you know, let's get mm-hmm. together and play in a month and see where you're at. I was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. And uh, yeah, it's my yeah. I think my first show was on TV for Mountain <laughs> Action Sports, so I was it could have shut me out of a cannon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it wasn't like you were dropping. Yeah, you're not joining like one of Illinois, you know, uh, famed garage groups. You're joining Chevelle. <laughs> yeah, so. the first time that I play on stage with any band is on TV. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, with a with a bass, you know. Yeah. So that's freaking awesome. Well, hey, my friend, um, the Wooden Relic, um, and we and uh, what your, you got your what's your Instagram again? I, I think the name was different, and I thank you for letting me join. By the way. Yeah, dumpster yeah. fire, which my my wife loves the name. She thinks that I I just picked a real winner there. Told <laughs> me all the time to change my account to a business account. Maybe I can, maybe step away from the whole dumpster fire thing. <laughs> yeah, she just doesn't understand, you know. Awesome. Well, it's art. Yeah. Well, hey, but man, yeah, well, so dumpster yeah. fire. It's dumpster fire one on Instagram, <laughs> and uh, that's that's my site now. It may yep. change in the future. Who knows? But. Uh, yeah, other than that, the woodenrelic.com, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where I got all my stuff, and I I appreciate the support, you guys. Yeah, and well, uh, I was a big fan, and then just, like I said, I, I stumbled on it, um, that you had your own art site, and I already found the, the piece I'm going to get, and I always wanted to talk to you about it. Like I said, I've always been a big supporter of you guys, and, and, and Will, no, no matter what you're doing, and appreciate you. Uh, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but talking to you i'm glad i took the chance because you've been nothing but gracious to us and we appreciate it and if we ever get you back in nashville me and sam will take you to a predator game and watch your blackhawks beat us up (laughs) yeah right yeah that sounds good i'm gonna hold you to that i love that you got it my friend uh sam had one more question before we let you go go ahead Sam. yeah quick little question uh dean out of all the great albums chevelle which one was your favorite um, the, the, pro- probably the most memorable one was, uh, Venus Sarah. Um, it's because we did it at the Palms in Las Vegas. Wow. And there was, uh, that was pretty exciting, you know? Yep. It's a brilliant album, a brilliant piece of work. The next guest on the Uncharted podcast is the great and powerful comedian, Aaron Weber. He's going to do his debut album recording the 30th of September. I believe that's a Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday, September 30th. The 800-pound Gorilla Records Aaron Weber debut album recorded live at Zany's Nashville. Now, you can go to Zany's Nashville Comedy Club uh, online or on any social media and get your tickets. Still a couple available. It's a 7 p.m. show. The doors will open at 6 we talked to Aaron about that, his first live recording in his career. Uh, he's the youngest person to ever do stand-up on the Grand Old Opry. A very great-spirited human being, was really nice to talk to. Uh, so that interview's next. Uh, co-host is the church comedian, Brandon Skelton. So here we go. Enjoy, everybody. Mm-hmm.
I know you're not from Tennessee. We're proud that you claim us. You know, I've seen you perform <laughs> times. Uh, Brandon here alongside with me has had the privilege of performing with you and seeing you. And we just want to say congratulations for everything and uh, everything you got going on. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so, Aaron, um, I remember first time seeing you would have been at the Bo Schuster Maria Tucker Shindig at Belcourt Taps. And uh, I, won't say, I went three times, and he was always my favorite one. And I didn't, I didn't know the, the legacy and this uh, the powerhouse Aaron Weber was. But I was like, I'd always tell my wife, like, all right, this one guy, this was the jokes he told, and then I'd fire him through. But I can definitely tell you had you had the credibility in the room because most of us, when we got up there, no one else listened. But when you took the took the stage, folks toned in. So uh, I stuck out to me, and yeah, you know, I say I love love your jokes, love your the set, sing you multiple times. Well, thank you, man. That is, uh, I missed that show, by the way. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I look back at, like, we, we didn't even really fully appreciate it for what it was back when we had it. Or at least I felt that way. And then once it went away, I was like, man, that was really a great mic. Bo and Maria did such a great job every week. The venue was good. Com- because it was clean, comics would have to write jokes you know, so it would always be fun. So yeah, just uh, just hearing you say that brings back some memories for sure. Uh, now I gotta ask, did you ever win the rubber chicken of excellence? <laughs> I won it. I won it one time. Yeah, I still have that rubber chicken somewhere <laughs> for sure. Do you remember? Yeah, that's a big joke? moment. Do you, uh, um, do you joke sealed the deal for you for the rubber chicken? I don't remember the joke. No, I think I think they said it was for the whole set. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I should have remembered that, though, because that chicken, the cool thing, it's a cool thing to get get something like that. I remember Spanky's, which was, uh, for a while, the only open mic in Nashville for years, they would give a, a, a can of Fresca every <laughs> every night, and that was my first open mic, because I went to Spanky's, and I remember thinking how cool that would be to get that can of Fresca, and I never got that, but when I got the chicken, I was like, all right, this is good enough. Well, you know, Spanky's obviously put a little fire in your belly. You're like, I, I'm, I'm going to take these open mics serious. I'm, I'm going to walk out with the award. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, dude. Go ahead. Well, with the, uh, you know, I know you, you, you're working a lot with the, with some guys touring, and we'll, we'll probably get into that here in the next few minutes of conversation. But and you still hitting the open mics, or are you just, like, so busy with with touring and other shows that just aren't getting that opportunity now? Yeah, I'm still doing them as, as often as I can. I haven't done – I haven't really done any since COVID hit, okay. but I've been doing I've been doing a lot of shows. And my thinking of, or at least how I justify it to myself is, I don't want to double my risk by by going to mics and things too. But I also need to you know I need to work and make money, so I'm I'm doing shows as often as I can. But I'm just you know I, I don't want to you know overexpose myself. And I guess that's, man, that's, how, that's how I've been approaching it. Hey, hey, yeah, go ahead. Good approach to make. Now, um, I was talking to Lee Harden. Now, are you you joining up with him and uh, him and Henry Cho this weekend? I am. Yeah, we're both going to be at the Stardome on Friday and Saturday in Birmingham. So that'll be fun. Always fun to go down there. That's a really good club, and um, it'll be interesting to do with 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 COVID regulations. I think it'll still be a good time though. Oh yeah. Well, let's uh, let's address what, one thing I was really intrigued by. Congratulations, uh, 
uh, the uh, the 800 pound gorilla live recording is coming to Zany's Nashville, which is your your debut album, right? Yeah, yeah, it'll be the first time that I record anything. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it um, you know, hopefully years from now it won't be a big deal, but it feels like a a big deal now just to finally, you know, put some stuff in stone, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. This is going to be really, really cool. Uh, and it's been postponed a couple of times. Or it had to be moved back because of COVID and everything. So I, I hope this one sticks because yeah. Brandon and I are planning to come and, and root you on at least last Oh, time great. Someone. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's, I think it's been rescheduled four times Wow. Since, since COVID. And, you know, earlier this month, Nashville wasn't allowing crowds of more than 25 people. Uh-huh. So – and I was like, man, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna be rough for recording an album. Uh, but thankfully, they they lifted, they lifted those regulations, and now we're back to half capacity at the club. So hopefully, it either stays there or improves. You know. You know, uh, we would have been safe to do our show that we did at the VA if, if you know, 25 people, because I think we had a solid 12 that night, and five of which were committed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny. I just did a show last night, and and they were like, listen, we're really bummed about the numbers. And we were like, how many people are coming? And she goes, I mean, it's going to be like 35. And I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be amazing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 35? 35? Whoa, my. We might split it up and do two shows. This is amazing. Because <laughs> you do – you do so many shows with just nobody there that, and you know, Brandon, looking back on that show we did, it didn't even register to me as like a a small show. Like that's not even how I remember it, just because you do so many like that, oh, you know? Okay. See, I was afraid the standard now would be like if you walk into a place and there's 35 people, you're like, well, this is like three BA shows, so we should be good. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's my unit of measurement from now on, for sure. <laughs> so, Aaron, I understand you're a part of the uh, Nate Land, uh, Nate Bargatze podcast that's doing really, really well. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm doing uh, a weekly podcast with, with Nate Bargatze and Brian Bates, who's another comic here in Nashville. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've kind of built this weird relationship with, listeners where we we read everybody's comments and we tend to read like the meaner funnier ones so it's kind of a combative like uh i don't know it's just a lot of comments making fun of me but it's great but it's like a weird it's like a weird relationship to have with people because every day i just kind of open up the youtube and just look at some of those comments and uh I mean, they're all good natured, but there's there's a lot of ribbing going on. So it's been a lot of fun, dude. Sure. Well, I'm gonna tell you the the because of that podcast, I think it was the first one you guys did. I watched the movie Contagion. Oh wow. Kept coming back to. Yeah, and I just wanna say I appreciate the fact that you guys have given me a whole nother level of fear with this virus and <laughs> Yeah, dude, not a good time to watch that movie, man. Yeah, when that guy said social distancing, I was like, oh, my word, we're living contagion. And then I, was like, <laughs> I know, <laughs> man. It's wild how many parallels there are. Yeah. I mean, it's, what uh, was that movie? The movie was made like a decade ago, right? And now right. it's, I mean, now it's the life. You know what's fun? I was just in, um, it's funny how differently every place treats COVID. 
because, you know, it hits every place differently. You know, some places, like Nashville, I feel like right now, Nashville is, people are taking it seriously. Everybody has a mask on everywhere. I was just in Cameron County, Pennsylvania last night, where they have had, in the entire county, they've had a grand total of eight COVID cases. And that, eight. Was, uh, and that was just one Amish family, right? <laughs> yeah, dude. Not 8%. Yeah, we were like 8% of – they're like, no, eight people. All of them are cured. There are n- no active cases in this county. And and the guy that told us that was like, dude, between us, I think it was a little lower than that. I go, why Why do you think that? He goes, because I know all eight people, and a couple of them like to lie for attention. <laughs> all right. That is so funny. It's so funny going from, from like, you know, a, bi- a bigger city – where it's a legitimate, and then you go to these little remote towns, and they're like, "Yeah, you know what? We're we're a closed system here. We're doing fine." <laughs> you know. Well, we, uh, Brandon and I, we uh, we reside in Columbia, Tennessee, and here we still right. like open mouth kiss and kiss on the cheek like the French do. Not so. me and Josh, but yeah, the yeah, the community. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That yeah, that's just with your family. What are you doing with? Uh, with... <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, I I saw the podcast you was talking about too, and another another movie that uh, kind of relatable. Uh, I think Twenty Eight Days Later. Have you ever seen that? I have. Yes. Yes. Have you seen that? I've not seen Twenty Eight. Yeah, Days. y'all need to you need to stop watching movies like that. <laughs> you know, why don't you watch uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or something? something yes. Yeah. You know, watch something <laughs> silly. Like take your mind off of this, man. You're like dig it in. Watching these movies. It's a lot. Well, me and my children are going to watch Outbreak tonight. So. Oh, man. There you yeah, go. dude, watch watch some Wheel of Fortune or something, dude. You know, and just relax and just have fun. Right on. Uh, it, it's, been, it's been a big effort, dude. I've had to make a big effort to just kind of, uh, especially during, like, the, the worst part of quarantine was just finding – stuff to mindless stuff to do because you can't just sit there and look at the news all day like you'll you'll kill yourself yeah you know and you can't get on social media that's worse because that's news from your friends so you're like i don't want this so you know you gotta figure out stuff to do so that's been a big uh, it's been a big skill i've developed is doing nothing thinking about nothing and uh, and I'm a fan. I'm going to keep doing it well after COVID. <laughs> yeah, from from that one uh, video you put on Instagram, it seems like you have a lot of DVDs that you can watch to kind of have past your time. So. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I've got plenty of uh, plenty of physical media to get me through <laughs> quarantine. It's embarrassing how how little I use that collection, by the way, because everything is just everything is so easily available a streaming service now that you know it's almost i'm too lazy to get i will watch a movie on netflix that i have on blu-ray because i don't have to i don't have to get up and put it in the xbox that's a lot of work you know if it's just right there yeah yeah. Um, I wanted I wanted to mention a little. I was uh, I was on your uh, website, uh, which we're you know trying to get a hold of you and saw you know it's like a MySpace format, <laughs> which I love by the way. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, dude, it takes you back, you, doesn't 
Yeah, um, but you mentioned it says you like anything with Paul uh, Giamatti in it. Like, uh, <laughs> are you a big Paul Giamatti fan? No, I mean that was just the most random actor I could think of, probably. Boy, that, that was out I there. I, I love Paul. I mean, he's a really good actor, but I'm not passionate about him or anything. Okay, so you like you didn't yeah. think that his uh, his Rhino performance in Spider Man was a masterpiece or anything like that? Uh, was he in Spider Man? <laughs> I didn't see that. Was he in it? Uh, he was in the middle kid Spider Man, the very last one. He was the Rhino. He even had a Russian accent. Like it's a very tail end of the movie. Oh, is he good in it? No. I'm, okay, that's too bad. He's a pretty – I mean, he's a very good actor. Yeah. So that surprises me and upsets me, and now I'll definitely never see that movie. Yeah. I don't want to see Paul Giamatti fade, fade from glory, you know? That's tough to watch. Yeah. yeah, but he stayed in character, though. He was like an old-school wrestler. I mean, I give him props for that. Was he well, – he, he committed to the bit, huh? That's respectable, yeah. I guess. He was in there. He had a Russian accent, and it, it just—it's it, something to see. I'm sure you can watch it on YouTube if you try to research it. I tell you what, I'll, I'll get the Blu-ray, I'll put it on my shelf, and I'll never watch it. <laughs> yeah, like I do with like I do with most movies. <laughs> so, Aaron, I got got to know just kind of um, one thing. The uh, you, you was on the Grand Ole Opry, I guess within the last year, right? And just kind of what was that experience like? I know that's a huge stage to be on, and just man, it's uh, of course one of the youngest guys, or maybe the youngest guy, right, to perform comedy at the Grand Ole Opry. I think I think I'm the youngest because Dusty Slay for a while was saying he's the youngest, and then I'm younger than him, so I just <laughs> kind of stole that from him. I yeah. I didn't I didn't verify it at all, but I thought you know what, if Dusty was Bold enough to say it, I'm bold enough to say it now. So I just took the <laughs> title from him. But yeah, it was amazing, man. It's it's uh it's one of those things that doesn't really set in until later because I really didn't have time to uh, to get caught up in it. I was just so nervous about doing well that um, that I didn't really process everything. You know, there is a little bit of a moment. You walk out there and there's the circle in the middle of the stage, and you're like what am I doing here? I can't believe somebody let, like, why am I disgracing this hollowed stage with jokes? You know, there's a lot of that, but I've I've done it um, three times, two times at the Opry and then once at the Ryman because the Opry does their shows at the Ryman in December. So I got to do one then. And it's just been amazing, man. Those are like the best crowds ever. They're just so excited to be there. They laugh at everything. It's a good time. Well, i got to ask you this because like, I've heard you multiple times. You're awesome. You're legit. And so you, you've definitely earned that spot to be on that stage. But how many of your friends have came up to you and be like, hey, man, can you can you get me on the Grand Ole Opry? <laughs> and being such a nice guy, do you like, you know, maybe work a little more? Or do you think, oh, God, this guy's awful. He's he, you know, I don't know if I'd recommend him to an open mic. I mean, you usually have some folks hit you up wanting to be like, how, how do I connect? Yeah, you know, not friends. It was mostly acquaintances. <laughs> oh, okay. That and and they they weren't asking. You know, to to their credit, it's not a lot. It's not a, you know, get me on. It's you know, how do I submit myself to potentially do it? And and I've been telling people the truth, which is, I mean, it, it was kind of a fluke how I got booked on it. And, and I don't even know what the typical process is. I saw, I saw a guy saw me at Zany's about two and a half years ago and met me after the show. And I shook his hand 
and he just remembered me. And then he ended up being promoted to become the, the president of the Grand Old Opry. Wow. And so I got an e- I got an email from him out of the blue, like two years after he saw me do stand-up, asking me to do it. So, I mean, so if people ask me, how do I do it? I go, here's what you do. You just keep doing stand-up and hope he's there, and then you wait two years, because that's the only way I know how to do it. It was just a total – yeah. yeah, it was just a t- total fluke. Well, obviously, I'm happy it works out. I, I I was getting ready. I thought you were going to say you went to the back of the Zanies parking lot and the ghost of Roy Acuff was there or something. <laughs> no, no. I was no, waiting for like an like unbelievable moment. I mean, that's still cool, but I thought you were going to be like, you know, I was back there and, and Bill Monroe's spirit was just like, hey. Yeah, little yeah. little Jimmy Dickens came to me in a dream and <laughs> told me to email Dan at the Opry, and I emailed him a bit, you know. Yeah. And the miracle. Oh, that's there. that's the way. In my experience, that's the way things work out. There's, it's a lot of just random and just not not glamorous interactions that lead to stuff. Yeah, you know that's, that's kind of how, at least in my career and life, that's kind of how things have always worked out. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because even the connection with this podcast might get you three more likes on your fan page. That's right. That's right, dude, and I, and I need them all, so give them all to me. Yeah, right on. Um, let's, uh, uh, my last one was for you. Uh, it was about being from Montgomery. I just toured Montgomery not too long ago, and uh, do they hold you in the steam there like they do Hank Williams? <laughs> what was, well, i got to ask what a tour of Montgomery was like. Well, you go, well, okay. Did they, did they take you to a, a payday loan place? And just, uh... <laughs> no, this is, this is, this is what happened. As funny as it sounds. You go into, have you been into the Hank Williams Museum? Yeah. Okay. Well, when we get in there, there's this lady and she gave me a pamphlet and it tells me a radio station to go to and like uh, different celebrities uh, read this map that they gave me. And it's like, you go over here, this is where he's buried. This is where he eats his favorite hot dog. This is the uh, bed and breakfast he slept in and wrote, uh, You're Cheating Heart. This is a whole thing. It's like a Easter egg hunt, but with Hank Williams. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, Hank Williams scavenger. Yeah, Hank Williams scavenger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the best. I mean, you, you're probably done with Montgomery after that. You know what I mean? You probably just do that, do the Easter egg hunt, leave, and then there's no real reason to go back. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Well, you know? so. What what really intrigued me about it was getting to the middle of the museum and seeing the blue Cadillac that he passed away in. Uh, they didn't oh, let me man. take a pic- take a picture of it, which really destroyed me. But um, there's a little placard on it that explains that Hank Williams Jr. drove it all through high school, knowing his dad had passed away in the back, and that just really uh, struck a chord with me. I never quite forgot <laughs> that. Oh, that's the most Hank Williams Jr. thing ever, dude. I love yeah. it. Of course he did, man. You know, he's, you know, what am I going to do? Just not drive this awesome car? Nah, you know, that's amazing. I didn't know that. <laughs> Hope he cleaned it out a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine saying, hey, you want to get back here? This is where my daddy died. <laughs> right. He yeah. just hung up one of those little trees in the rearview mirror and was like, here we go. We're good to go, man. Like, that's wild. Yeah, bizarre. Well, hey, um, 
uh, my last question here for you. So we were at the show where Nate, uh, you, Nate, and John Chris uh, were on at Zany's. And I know you did some touring with Chris. I caught uh, a couple shows of y'all. Uh, are you looking at a possibility with him touring again and, and, and getting in doing some shows with John Chris again? Um, no, we, we haven't talked about anything. I mean, he's just now starting to, uh, to do some shows. And, you know, everybody's kind of easing back. Right into into to booking stuff because for so long everybody was just kind of waiting to book things because they, they didn't know clubs are going to be open theaters probably won't be open for a while so i think you'll see a lot of theater acts go back and start doing the clubs um i'm i'm trying to work anywhere i'm i mean i look i am in harrisonburg virginia right now um i was in emporium pennsylvania last night I'm doing a show in a backyard right now or tonight. So, you know, it's like I think all the people at my level are like, dude, we'll just – we'll go do anything, man. I'll go, uh, you know. It's a, it's a weird time to be to be a comedian, and I'm hoping it ends soon, you know. And I've been saying that for – since March. Right. And now it's, you know, it's September, so – God knows what it'll be like in a few months, man. But um, I'll do anything, dude. I'll do, I'll do I'll do a bar mitzvah. I'll do a um, I'll do a funeral. You know. Oh boy! Would you, you, you do a return show to VA? Um, <laughs> to the Let's do it, man. Post nap thing. <laughs> Let's do it. Though I will say, I will say this, Brandon, and this is with all due respect, some of the people that were there last time. I think it's fair to say they are uh, immunocompromised. Um, so maybe uh, <laughs> we might have to wait until we can give a safer environment for some of our guys. <laughs> and I doubt any of them could use uh, Zoom, so we probably don't want to try to do an online. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that wraps up this week's Josh Belcher uncharted podcast it was a rare treat this week i had both of the original co-hosts the guys that kind of helped me lay the foundation of the podcast both on board to guest host with me that would be sam madewell who was my first ever musical artist and co-host and friend uh, he's in the cam pierce group he plays mandolin check him out on his social medias a fine human being and also my other dear friend the church comedian brandon Skelton. Check out his YouTube, his social medias, his Facebook page, always guaranteed laughs. He is a comedic star on the rise. And absolutely, we can't forget special thanks to our awesome guests, Dean Bernardini, who used to play bass for Chevelle, was with him for 15 years. He is the brother-in-law of the Brothers Loafer, marrying their sister, Natalie. Uh, Thank you for all the stories he shared with us. And of course, Aaron Weber, who's got his debut his debut uh, record, his recording, uh, debut album at Zany's Nashville, Wednesday, September 30th. Check him out. He is also a hilarious human being. Uh, once again, I couldn't do this podcast without you. Uh, I'm really grateful for it. It keeps me sane. keeps me grounded. keeps me uh, looking forward to things in life. And I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Because without you, there's really no point. So I really, really appreciate that. Uh, With that being said, I want you to have the best week possible. Stay safe, corona-free, happy, and healthy. 
And uh, remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. And I will catch you next week for another astonishing episode of the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Thanks. All right. Take care.